You are Locked On Phillies, your daily Philadelphia Phillies podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, guys? It is Friday, December 6th, 2019. This is Locked On Phillies. I'm Tim Kelly. The MLB winter meetings will begin in earnest on Monday, but executives will arrive in San Diego on Sunday, and normally by Sunday evening, a few rumors start to fly around. With that in mind, we're going to preview the winter meetings from a Phillies perspective today. Before we get to that, I want to talk to you about Away Luggage. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world, for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use the promo code locked on during checkout. If you're listening on the go, you can find this and all other offers at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. So the first real big storyline heading into the winter meetings, because it's going to affect every other potential storyline is what are the Phillies going to say about the luxury tax? John Middleton said earlier this offseason at the press conference where they announced Gabe Kapler's firing that the Phillies wouldn't go over the luxury tax to win the second wildcard spot. He specifically referenced they'd maybe go over it for a Cliff Lee type of opportunity. But after signing Zach Wheeler, it doesn't feel like the Phillies could possibly be done But without knowing the exact structure of Zach Wheeler's contract, Johnny Heller of Phillies Nation estimates that they have about $18.4 million to spend before hitting the luxury tax threshold. We're going to get into some more specifics on how they could build out the rest of the roster in a minute. But I'll say this, if the Phillies were to sign one more notable player, and I'm not even talking about Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg because both of them obviously are going to make way more than $18.4 million, they'd be nearing the threshold. And you don't need me to tell you that to have a chance to win what may be the best division in baseball next year, the Phillies are going to need more than just one one more addition onto this current roster heading into the season. But Matt Gelb, the Athletic, reported this week that the Phillies front office is, quote, currently operating under a directive to remain below the $208 million threshold that triggers the luxury tax. Let me say this. Should the Phillies be able to build a team with $208 million or less that can compete for the World Series? Yes, they should. But the Phillies have never really had success in finding international talent. They fell way behind on building up their analytics department. And then in 2015, years late, they were just like, okay, guys, we're doing this now. Well, it's not that simple. You're playing catch-up still years later. You're caught up maybe to where other teams were in 2008 or 9, but now those teams have had five or six more seasons to build on to what they had at that time. Ten seasons from them, five or five ish since 2015 you get the point there's a lot of things that factor into this and this organization's inability over the last 10 or so years to consistently develop talent and much of that predates this current front office regime but the Phillies' stated goal is to win in 2020. Both John Middleton and Matt Klintak have said that. And to do that, they're almost certainly going to have to go over the luxury tax to make an in-season key acquisition. And maybe if they get to July 31st and they feel like, wow, we're really in this, and not just in this, like one of the five teams has a chance of the second wild card, but in the NL East race, seriously, they'll make an addition. But last offseason... They went in with the strategy of trying to make it to July 31st with their pitching, and then they'd add on there, which proved to be a terrible idea, and I don't think that they can repeat that. And here's the thing. 
the, the Phillies have never gone over the luxury tax threshold. The tax for a first-time offender, the, lo- the tax penalty for a first-time team is 20% per dollar over. So a, a couple examples of this. The Nationals went over the luxury tax for the first time in 2017. You know what their penalty was for the richest owner in baseball? $1.45 million. The Cubs went over for the first time in 2016 and paid $2.96 million. So these are not earth-shattering amounts. These are amounts that uh, someone like John Middleton, I get it. He owns 48% of the team, so he's not the only voice in this. But they, they laugh at those type of amounts. This is the type of, of someone that's a veteran filling out your bullpen, not even your closer or even your, your best setup, man. This is someone that's on a bounce back you're trying to get. I mean, th- this is a laughable amount to them. I know it, it seems insane to like a normal person, but ownership can afford to pay the luxury tax penalty for a season they can afford to pay it every season but they can afford to pay it in 2020 and then after 2020 you have jake arietta coming off the books you have david robertson coming off the books and if they are as committed to winning as they say they'll pay it for a season but it'll be interesting how matt clintock responds to this at the winter meetings because he's almost certainly going to be asked and obviously he's not the one signing the checks I mean, he may be the one handing out the checks, but John Middleton and company and the ownership group are the ones signing this, and he's following orders. So he's still going to be put out and asked to answer this question, and I will be interested to see how he does that. The second thing I think the Philly, the second major storyline is how Matt Clintock is going to explain the Phillies not signing Cole Hamels. I would imagine uh, Matt Klintak in the Phillies front office would have liked to sign Cole Hamels, but the one-year $18 million deal Cole Hamels was signed to, it would have eaten up the entire cushion that they have left before hitting the luxury tax. Again, approximately, maybe it would have gone over a little bit, maybe a, a little bit under. We don't know exact details to a T of the Phillies' financial situation, but that's a solid estimate made. And so that signing Cole Hamels to that deal, in addition to Zach Wheeler, would have eaten up everything. That's without touching the bullpen or adding another starting position player or bench players, a backup catcher, any of that. So unless you were signing Cole Hamels over Zach Wheeler, that's the explanation for that. But Matt Clintock talked a lot about how perception matters last offseason. Well, the optics of this are going to be really bad if next summer Cole Hamill stays healthy and pitches at a, a level that even makes him a solid number three, which I don't think that's an unrealistic goal because that's how he pitched. He pitched better than that in the second half of 2018 and the first half of 2019, and then he got injured with an oblique injury, which is a bad injury for any athlete. Uh, he said he rushed back. Look, he's 36. He has a lot of innings on his arms. Maybe he has hit a wall. I, I don't think so, though. I mean, I don't think he's going to be 2011 Cole Hamels, but I think he has a chance to be a productive middle-of-the-rotation guy. And even if Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola are all-stars, you're still going to have people say, well, that's great. You could have had Cole Hamels in the rotation with them, too. Apparently, the Phillies did make an offer, but MLB.com's Todd Zalecki reported the Phillies offered him a one-year, $9 million deal, which explains why Cole Hamels said on the Braves radio network that the Phillies never seriously discussed a reunion because they were offering them half the amount that the Braves ultimately offered. It's the equivalent of the Phillies in 
December of 2010 saying, oh, well, we offered Jason Worth this four-year deal. Yeah, well, the Nationals offered him a seven-year 126. So, I mean, they're not competitive offers. And in both cases, you can say, well, they, he got too much from a division rival. That's possible. But uh, he did. And I don't think uh, to, people, the crowd that's faulting him for taking that and going to a team that has World Series potential, I don't, I don't get it. But if this all comes back to the luxury tax... I really do wonder if the Phillies front office had clearance to offer Cole Hamels, let's say $14 million, if he wouldn't have taken less money to return to Philadelphia. A $9 million offer is insulting, but even if the Phillies were capped in the sense that, okay, you can go over the luxury tax, but only by a few million, they probably could have made Cole Hamels and Zach Wheeler work and still had money to upgrade other spots on their roster. The final thing that the Philly, the final major storyline, of course, is what moves will the Phillies make at the winter meetings? Of course, as we learned last year, you're not, uh, the winter meetings are not a deadline for making moves, but uh, the beginning of this offseason has moved much quicker in terms of notable free agent signing, and hopefully that trend continues. Uh, Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports Philadelphia reported earlier this week that the Phillies were in discussions with free agent shortstop Didi Gregorius. Joe Girardi raved about him, and frankly, it wouldn't surprise me to see something come together next week. I don't see what's to be gained by waiting any longer on the market if you're Didi, because he is uh, he, uh, one of his options was the Reds, and that already kind of seems to be off the board because they paid a big infielder in Mike Moustakis, so you'd think they're going to stick with Freddie Galvis at shortstop as Josh Donaldson and Anthony Rendon and some of these other options potentially come off the board. You, you just don't get the sense there's any benefit from Didi's camp in waiting any longer in the free Asian market. So if that comes together, then that gives you clarity about how you proceed with Gene Segura and Scott Kingery. Gene Segura, I think, will shift to second. And then I don't know what happens to Scott Kingery necessarily. I think he shifts into the role he was in for much of the 2019 season where he's rotating back between third base and center field. I think he's a much better fit in center field, to be completely honest with you. But between the whenever Alec Bohm comes up, the Phillies are gonna have to do something at third base, and I, I would like to see them re-sign Brad Miller in some form. But you're also not gonna be trotting Brad Miller out there seven days a week either. So I, I think Scott Kingery is gonna be over there at some point if you invest your resources in a shortstop rather than a third baseman. Uh, again, though, a lot of moving parts. I am interested to see if they gauge the interest in Segura if they sign Didi because he's obviously still owed quite a bit of money the next three seasons. So if you sign Didi Gregorius, theoretically you're upgrading over what may end up being kind of the same term contractually. You can slide Scott Kingery to second base, although again, I don't know necessarily that they want to do that, but they would also have the option of then signing a cheaper second base option than Gene Segura. And the money you saved from trade, if you traded Gene Segura, would then free you up to use that on a relief pitcher, multiple relief pitchers, another starting pitcher, whatever the case may be. I think Gene Segura has a very good chance to bounce back next year, but contractually, it does tie the Phillies' hands a little bit if they think DD is a better option. As far as bullpen options, the two I think everyone's really focused on are Dylan Batances and Blake Trinan. 
Delon Batances had a very injury-riddled 2019. Blake Trinan regressed after one of the great relief seasons in my lifetime in 2018. So there are risks with both of them, but you need juice in the bullpen, and at their best, both those guys give you that, so I'll be interested to monitor that. I, I'm very intrigued by the possibility of adding Robbie Ray. I know I talked about this on Thursday's show, so we'll see if anything comes together there. Uh, to me, he's someone I think he's projected to make $10.8 million in arbitration. He's someone that could slide into uh, both fill the role of a lefty and another middle-of-the-rotation starter that you're pretty confident you know what you're going to get at. And then George A. King of the New York Post reported last week that the Phillies are interested in Austin Romine as a backup catcher. With 26 guys on the roster this year, I do think there's a very realistic chance they keep Andrew Knapp on the roster because he is someone that gets on base and he buys into a lot of the stuff, but then also add another backup catcher to spell JT Realmuto or allow him to play first base or DH on different days. So a lot to look forward to with the MLB winter meetings next week. It's one of the most exciting times of the year. It's one of the busiest times of the year uh, to cover the sport, but I, I certainly uh, enjoy it. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Kelly Sports. Read my work on the MLB winter meetings and other topics on philliesnation.com and radio.com. I will talk to you guys next week.